Father, we thank you for all this time that we have to come together to study your word, to look at your triumphal entry, uh, to look at that which started uh, the week which led to your death. Uh, this is the most important week uh, of uh, really all of history. And so as we kick off this week, uh, help us to gain a greater understanding of your sovereignty, of your providence, uh, and just a better glimpse of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, As I noted, this is the most important week of all of history. Uh, And we will see how Jesus is the Savior by choice. And we'll get a glimpse of what that means. Uh, And we'll see that he chose his entry, that he was the chosen king, and ultimately he was the chosen lamb. And so we're just going to dive right down in today, and we're going to look at my first point, which is a chosen entry. Now, looking at this text, verses 1 through 3, I'll read it again to remind us. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives... Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Now this is really a prophecy by Jesus, when you think about it. He's telling them what is going to be. He's telling them to do this, but he's also telling them what is going to be happening. So this is Jesus' prophecy here. And so, first of all, they come to Bethphage. This is on the east side of Jerusalem, uh, called Bethphage is the House of Figs. Uh, This is towards the Mountain of Olives. And so he tells them three things, in a sense. He says, first of all, you're going to go find a donkey. You're going to go over there to this next town. We don't really know the distance, how far it was. Uh, Really not much is known about Bethphage, actually almost nothing at all. And so he tells you, you're going to go to this next town, and you're going to find a donkey and a colt. And Mark tells us that specifically the colt had never been ridden before, which is important. So you're going to go, and you're going to find a donkey and a colt, and you're going to untie them, in verse 2, and bring them to me. And he even says, right, you could say, well, so far in this prophecy, he could have predicted that, right? Like he could have set up a donkey and a colt, and he could have then told the disciples, hey, go into this other town, and you're going to find the donkey and the colt. But he even predicts the owner and what the owner is going to say to them when they try to take the donkey and the colt. And so uh, he says, if anyone says anything to you, and in Matthew it doesn't really pointed out, but in the other Gospels, we see clearly that they ask him, like, hey, what are you doing? He says, my donkey and my colt, why are you taking it? And he says, when someone says that to you, just say, the Lord needs them. Uh, Mark specifically tells us that when they say that, then they, they give permission for them to take it. And then in Luke, it tells us specifically that it was the owners that gave permission. I only point that out to say that Jesus wasn't stealing a donkey and a colt. <laughs> he was given permission to do this by the owner. And Jesus prophesied ahead of time that this would happen. Uh, and that alone, right as we're looking at the beginning of this text, that alone is amazing in itself. 
Uh, no one else but Jesus, no one else but God would know that that would happen, that that person would specifically say, hey, what are you doing? And then they would say, the Lord needs them. Uh, whether it was a friend who knew Jesus or just a disciple or just some person is unknown. Uh, nothing is really known about the person other than they had the colt and the donkey and they let Jesus have him. So Jesus prophesies that this is going to happen, but Jesus also fulfills a prophecy at this point in time. When you look back into this text, we're getting into verse 4 and 5. It says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a foul beast of burden. Now, when you're looking at this triumphal entry, it's important to know that this is Jesus' coronation. Uh, And all, when you become a king, a queen, uh, this is what happens, right? This is big spectacle. And coronations are usually a very, very big spectacle. This is the time for them to flaunt pretty much all they have in the most elegant, extravagant way that they could possibly do it. Uh, Usually, they're wearing the best robes. They're wearing the most expensive jewelry that they could possibly. They're going to have their best soldiers They're going to have the best religious leaders along with them as they parade down. Uh, They're going to have all the leaders. And all of this is showing the dignity and the power of the new king. And so that's usually how a coronation will go. And at the very end of a coronation, you'll have something like the grabbing of a scepter, which is going to uh, show the transfer of power from one person to the new king. And when you're thinking about the king of the world, or king of Jerusalem, you would expect it would be the most extravagant coronation. Except for in this case, it is not. Uh, What Jesus does is ride on a colt to Jerusalem, on a donkey... But the donkey did have representation to the Jews. Uh, To to a Jew, the donkey meant royalty. Uh, When King Solomon, we won't look turn there, but in 1 Kings 1, 38-39, it says that Solomon rode King David's mule uh, for his coronation. And so there is a big significance there uh, for riding the donkey. This is the thing that Solomon himself rode down during his coronation. But I want you to turn with me to Zechariah. Uh, if you don't know where that is, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. Go left, and there you got it. So go to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. This is where we get this. Uh, this is where the prophecy comes from. 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Jerusalem. Uh, Zion and Jerusalem are the same. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And so he is fulfilling this prophecy here. Uh, This is, again, his coronation And it's interesting because you look at verse 10. It says, I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim 
And the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from river to the ends of the earth. Now, interestingly enough, he says, I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem. And when you're thinking about the Jews at this point in time, that is what they were looking for. Uh, They wanted the war horse from Jerusalem. That's what they wanted from Jesus. They wanted him to come in to help them get rid of the Romans. They wanted to be free in their own way. And so they wanted that war horse, but they should have known that he was going to cut off the chariots, right? He wasn't coming to bring war. Rather, in verse 10, he shall speak peace to the nations. And so, he is coming, and he's coming on a donkey, but he's coming to bring peace to the nations, not war. Uh, We'll get into that a little bit more in a bit. So, the donkey represented royalty, represented peace, uh, and it also represented honor. As I mentioned, the colt had never been ridden before. And so that was a very honoring thing for someone. It's like, hey, I have this colt, and I have kept it specifically for you to ride. And so it was a great honor to be the first person to ride the donkey. So there was royalty, peace, and honor there. And so Jesus tells the prophecy. See, Jesus fulfills the prophecy, and Jesus' prophecy is also Fulfilled. If you get back to our text, the disciples went and Jesus uh, went and did as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Now it says he sat on them, uh, which can be confusing, but uh, this is likely right. He sat on the colt, and the mom is there to keep the colt uh, at bay because without the mom there, the donkey would be. Uh, quite out of place. There's a huge crowd there. It would have been uncomfortable and hard to ride, so the mom is there to kind of help it along. And this is important because some people will say, well, Jesus, towards the end here, right, he raises Lazarus from the dead, and there's this kind of rush, right? They see the miracles of Jesus. They see him. They kind of see him as the Messiah at some point. And they, he kind of gets swept away in this mob, right? The mob sees us, and they kind of drag him into Jerusalem. And there he is kind of dragged from here to there, kind of being placed all around, eventually being crucified. And it was a kind of untimely death for Jesus. That is not the way to look at this. When you look at this, it is clear that Jesus is, what Jesus' intent is. He is starting off the week that is going to lead to his death. And he has a full intent in knowing this, right? He is the one who prophesies, this is going to happen. You're going to do this. I am doing this because it is fulfilling a prophecy. And then it, is, it happens. And so Jesus is in complete control of his life at this point in time. He always was. I shouldn't say at this point in time. He has always has control of his life. But I didn't clarify that. Someone would be like, you know, Caden. No, <laughs> John 10, John 10, 17 says this. You're probably familiar with it. 
John 10, 17. It says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. And so as Jesus is approaching this, he is coming at it in complete control of his life. And I just want to point out at the end of that, it says, this charge I have received from my Father. Just make a mental note of that in your mind for later. We see this as important because if he has control over his life, his death, and his resurrection, he also has control over our lives as well. He has a plan for our lives, as Bill has talked about much through Ephesians. Uh, Nothing was out of reach for him in his own life, and nothing is out of reach for us in our own lives. I like what Proverbs 16.9 says. It says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. God had complete sovereignty over what he was doing as he was approaching this triumphal entry, as he had his coronation. And he has control over our lives as well. So that's my first point, a chosen entry, right? Jesus chose this. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was getting into. But he was also a chosen king. Read this next part with me, verses 8 through 11, back in Matthew here. Verse 8, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowd that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So they spread their cloaks. And now, interestingly enough, this is a very, 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 very large crowd. Uh, This isn't just a few people. It would have been all the people in Jerusalem and all the pilgrims who had come to celebrate the Passover, all the people from Galilee. And you definitely see from Galilee. The last part seems confusing, right? Because the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? The city is wondering, Jerusalem is wondering, who is this? Because Jesus hadn't taught there as much as other places. And all the people from Galilee who would have been more familiar with Jesus say, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so you can kind of see a wide group of people there. Some people know who Jesus is. Some people are a little bit more confused of who he is. The crowd, Josephus, who was a historian at the time of Jesus, and he was also a Pharisee, told us that 10 years later there were 250,000 lambs slain during Passover. 10 years later, 250,000. Now, each lamb uh, could cover up to 8 to 10 people, as they would say, or could be sacrificed, they'll say, for 8 to 10 people, which puts... An estimate somewhere around 2 million people there at that time. And we can kind of uh, suggest that it would be around the same number around Jesus' time. And so you're talking about 2 million people during this time. And so this is a crowd cheering for Jesus. 
So they spread their cloaks on the ground, and this simply shows submission and honor to him. They are declaring him as their king. They did this to Jehu in 2 Kings 9, 12 through 13. Again, it's just showing, look, this is our king. I'm going to take off my robe and throw it on the ground for him. And they also cut branches. Uh, John tells us specifically that it is palm trees, from palm trees. And this is, interestingly enough, like waving a Jewish flag. 200 years earlier, the Jews drove off the Syrians. And the Jews welcomed the victors entering Jerusalem with, uh, as it says in 1 Maccabees, with praise and palm branches because a great enemy had had been crushed and removed. And so their victory for that point in time, was to wave palm branches for them. Not only that, but in AD 66, in a brief victory against the Romans, if you remember church history, uh, they actually minted coins, and on the coins they had palm branches. And so to the Jews, uh, this was a sign of victory. This is, again, a sign of them declaring it's clear who they think their king is going to be. They're giving him the cloaks, they're waving their flag, so to speak. And if that wasn't enough, they're shouting their praise to him. Look at what they read, uh, say. This is from Psalm 118, 25 and, verses 25 and 26. And they say, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now this Hosanna is saved now which tells you what they're thinking. Save us, son of David. See, their actions and their words bestowed honor to Jesus as their king. There is no denying that is what they were thinking. See, but they wanted someone to save them from the Romans. And Jesus was coming to save them from themselves. And it's interesting because so often we want Jesus, right, as they did, on our own terms. They wanted him to save them specifically from what they thought they needed saved from, not what they actually needed. And we do the same thing. And we can't have Jesus on our terms. We can't just have him to just make us happy, again, wealthy, successful, all these different things. Jesus came to take away your sins. And yes, we have joy. We Hopefully God will make you happy at times, but you're going to get points where things will get down. And you need to remember why he came to save you and the ultimate gift that he gave you, which is salvation. And it's so interesting because at this point in time, you would never think that Jesus was going to be crucified just a few days later. Uh, Right now, this is the high point for everyone. They are proclaiming, Jesus, Hosanna, save us now. You are the son of David. We understand. Uh, Save us from this. There's quite the turn, as we will see throughout the week. I always, as a side note, I kind of wonder what the Romans were thinking at this point in time, where it would have been clear that they were proclaiming him as king, uh, and kind of the worry that would be associated with that. Side note. So, we have a chosen entry, right? Jesus chose what was going to be happened. 
We have a chosen king. The people chose. This is our king. And finally, we have a chosen lamb. And you don't... We see this in the day that it's happening. And so I don't have a particular verse for you here. It's just the whole entire section in general. Verses 1 through 11. We've read it, so I don't need to read it again. We need to see Jesus as the crucial lamb. See, he was king, as we saw. They were proclaiming him as king. Not the way they thought, but he was the king. But he was also the Passover lamb. I actually want you to turn with me. Psalm 118. Very briefly, because I want you to see this. Again, this is where we see it. Psalm 118, starting in verse 25. It says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So that's what they were quoting for the most part. And then it says, The Lord is God, and He has made His light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. See, they wanted verses 25 through 26, but Jesus came. and He did do those things, but He was also the festal sacrifice. He was going to be the, the Passover lamb. And so, he came again to take away their sins. We're in the Old Testament, so let's just stay there real quick and read Exodus. (laughs) Exodus 12. Exodus 12. Starting in verse 3. I'm going to read verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the first of the month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, put a note there, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house houses, a lamb for the household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to each can eat, uh, each can eat, you shall make count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male year old, and you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Now, I really want you to pay attention to the time frame. First of all, it says in verse 3, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day, on the tenth day of the first of the month, every man shall take a lamb. And so this is talking about Passover. This is what is kicking off here at the triumphal entry. Everyone for the Passover was supposed to pick a lamb on the tenth day of the month. And that lamb was supposed to be kept and then sacrificed, as we read, on the, uh, on the 14th day of the month. Verse 6. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill all their lambs at twilight. Alright, so it's very specific. Just kind of bear with me here. The 10th day of the month, they choose the lamb. Four days later, on the 14th, they are going to kill their lamb. And they're going to do it at twilight. Uh, that is from between the two evenings. I'll explain this in a moment, a little more in depth. I'm going to give you two different timelines for the week of Sunday, so bear with me a little bit. 
I'm going to give you the traditional view, um, which you probably have in your mind right now, and then I'm going to mix you up and give you what I actually think uh, the week is, and I'll give you the reason for it. So very quickly, it is a critical day. This is, again, the most important week in all of history. So it's important that we try to explain this and understand this week the best way we possibly can. So, starting Friday, in John, in the book of John, in the chapter 12, you don't have to read there, it says six days before Passover. So that is our starting date. Six days before Passover. And so let's say the traditional view is Thursday. So six days before that, it starts on Friday. And so you have Jesus arrives at Bethany, Friday. Saturday is dinner with Lazarus at the Sabbath. Nothing happens. Triumphal entry is on Sunday, right? Today would be the day. You have the cleansing of the temple, which happens Monday. The Olivet Discourse, which is Thursday. On Wednesday, it's called Silent Wednesday. There is nothing in Scripture. It's hard to fill in that gap. It's... Nothing is really recorded for Wednesday on that day. Thursday, Jesus celebrates Passover. That is completely clear. Thursday is the day Jesus celebrates Passover. And it is clear that the following day on Friday, Jesus dies on the cross. And we know that because they mention the fact that the Sabbath is the following day. Therefore, Jesus had to die early, if you remember. And so, they break the legs of the two on the side... And Jesus' legs weren't broken because he was already dead. And so they did that because the following day was Saturday, the Sabbath. And so it's clear he dies on Friday. It's clear that he has Passover on Thursday. And then you have Saturday and Sunday. Now, there is a few problems with this. First of all, the month of Nisan is what it's called for the Passover, right? The first of the month, as we saw in Exodus. On the... 10th of Nisan for the years A.D. 30 and 33. The 10th of Nisan falls on Monday, which means four days later, right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the 14th would be Friday. And so that's a problem because those are our two main days, right? If you're going to estimate the years Jesus died, people are probably going to say 30 or 33, likely 33 in my opinion. So those days fall on Friday. And so that's a problem in itself right there. Second of all, we see the dilemma there is that Christ either eats Passover or he dies as a Passover lamb, right? Because you would say, well, he dies on Friday, so he is seen as the Passover lamb at least. But that means he eats Passover early, which would be a strange thing to do um, because it's very clear in Scripture, and Jesus follows Scripture, the law, completely. So it would be weird that he would eat the Passover early. Uh, Last of all, we have, go to, this is important, go to John. John chapter 18, verse 28. Sorry, John chapter 18, verse 28. Now, Jesus, at this point in time, has already eaten Passover. Right, Thursday afternoon between 3 and 5 p.m., that would be between um, when the animals would be sacrificed. He would have sacrificed it on Thursday. He would have eaten the Passover Thursday night. He has gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's already uh, gone to the high priest 
He's been arrested, obviously, gone to the high priest, and now he's going before Pilate. Verse 28, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. This is early morning on Friday. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. And so that's a dilemma. Because it is now Friday morning, and the religious leaders don't want to go into the house because they still haven't eaten Passover. And you can say, well, maybe they were just delayed in eating the Passover. Well, they were supposed to, according to their own laws, Josephus tells us, they were supposed to eat it at night uh, before sunrise or before midnight. And this is the religious leaders here, right? They aren't going to mess up one of the most important things that's going to be happening all year and not do it. And so it is highly unlikely that they just forgot to eat Passover. And at this point, it's morning. They would have been too late. And then the last problem, the fourth, is the Silent Wednesday problem. Again, it's not that big of a problem, but it is the most important week of the year or that in all of history, and we don't have a day accorded for it. So I hope you're all following with me right now. I'm going to clarify a few things with Passover. The clarification for Passover, and then I'm going to give you what I believe is the, uh, an adjustment and the right one for what happens during the week. The Passover lambs were slain. We already kind of talked about it. They, hap- they are slain at twilight. Now, it's between the two evenings. Now, the Jews had an early evenings, which would be from 3 to 5 p.m., now, time starts approximately at 6, and so 6 a.m. in the morning for them, because they don't do midnight to midnight. They do from morning to morning, or sunset to sunset, as we'll get to. So if you start at 6 a.m. in the morning, around when sunrise happens, three hours later would be 9 o'clock. That would be the third hour of the day. If you go three more hours from that, uh, it would be noon, and that would be the sixth hour. And so if you go three more hours from that, it becomes 3 p.m., which is the ninth hour. Remember that. It's important. And so 3 p.m. becomes the ninth hour. Josephus tells us that all the lambs were slain. Again, he was the historian during the life of Christ. Uh, He was also a Pharisee. That all the lambs would be slain between 9 and 11. Uh, The ninth, 11 the ninth hour and the eleventh hour. That would be from 3 to 5 p.m. <clears throat> and you can imagine how crazy that would be. I already told you there were 250,000 lambs there 10 years later. So you're talking about 250,000 lambs being slain between the ninth and the eleventh hour. That is 3 to 5 p.m. That is insane. You can imagine the cries of the lamb. You can imagine the blood flowing from the temple. There was so much blood that it would fill up the river nearby, and the river would become red with blood. And that, interestingly enough, flows all the way to Bethlehem. So, all of those lambs are slain between the 9th and the 11th hour. That is 3 to 5 p.m. All right, and when was the Passover eaten? Eaten. Again, I'm sorry I'm getting into a lot of history here, but it's all, it'll all come together, I promise you. Just stick with me. The lamb was supposed to be eaten at night, all right? So you would sacrifice the lamb at 3 to 5 p.m. You'd take it to the temple, and then you would have to prepare it. You see the disciples, as you will read, 
they'll say, where do you want us to prepare the meal? Uh, They had the lamb slain, and they had to go prepare it. The meal would be eaten at night, at that night. And so it had to be in some point uh, before sunrise. Uh, The Mishnah, uh, which is the codification of Jewish law, said that it had to be eaten before midnight. Um, But Josephus tells us that it had to be eaten sometime during the night. Uh, the point is, right, you sacrifice it 3 to 5 p.m., and then at nighttime you eat it, and you eat it before sunrise. The last thing I have to mention before I get into my timeline is how they count the days. We count our days from midnight to midnight, right? At 12 o'clock, it switches, and we have our new day. But really, when you think about it mentally, you go to bed, right? You went to bed Saturday, and you woke up, and it was Sunday. We kind of do... It is midnight to midnight technically, but mentally we do from day to day, like morning to morning. The new morning is the new day. Uh, When you look at the Jewish people, they counted either or, so it's super confusing. So they would either count sunrise to sunrise as one day or sunset to sunset as one day. And you can see it in different areas. You could just mark this down. For sunrise to sunrise, Deuteronomy 16.4 that is, you'll see an example of they count from sunrise to sunrise, Deuteronomy 16.4, or sunset to sunset, look at Leviticus 22.6. And so it kind of depended on uh, just what was happening, different uh, 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 celebrations they had fall on different times, whether it was sunset to sunrise, sunrise or sunset to sunset, sunrise to sunrise. Which is very important. Now, no one knows how it happens. It doesn't say... In Exodus, what is the allotted time, whether it's sunrise to sunrise or sunset to sunset? And no one knows how this happened. But the Galileans and the Pharisees started to celebrate the Passover from sunrise to sunrise. Uh, And so they would be sacrificing from 3 to 5 on day 1 and eating it that night. And interestingly enough, the uh, the Mishnah tells us it says it tells us that it says the Galileans did not work at all on the day of Passover because and they didn't work on that day because they started at sunrise they couldn't work and it went to the following sunrise so there was no time to work during that period. However, the Judeans and the Sadducees counted from sunset to sunset and the Mishnah tells us that. Again, that's the codification of Jewish law. It says that the Judeans would work until midday, and it started at sunset. And so, how it happened, they don't know. But the Galileans started celebrating from sunset to sunset, and the Judeans started to celebrate from sun opposite. I'm getting myself confused. <laughs> Reset here. The Galileans started to uh, celebrate from sunrise to sunrise, and the Judeans would celebrate from sunset to sunset. Now it's going to all come together. <laughs> We're going to look at this new timeline. I do want to clarify this, that this came from MacArthur. Uh, was the one who put forth other people have as well, but I want to be clear that I'm not just coming up with this out of like thin air that I was studying this. So this is, you know... I guess, do what you will with that. But I also think it's supported through the text. Starting Saturday. So go to, you're in John, I believe. Go to chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before Passover. Now, I 
clarified, Passover is starting on Friday. So six days before Passover, this is now Saturday. Saturday is the day right now. Saturday is here. Now you go down a little bit and it says in verse 9, When a large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom was raised from the dead. So a large crowd comes and sees Jesus. This would happen on Sunday. Now, verse 12, it says, The next day which is, you'll have a header that says the triumphal entry. So now the triumphal entry is on Monday. Uh, Let me just keep explaining this. So, again, this is the 10th of Nisan, meaning that not only did they hail Jesus as king, this is the day that they chose their Passover lamb. And so you can clearly see Jesus being defined and chosen as their Passover lamb. So it's the 10th of Nisan here. Tuesday, on the following day, we would read in Mark, uh, is the day that he curses the fig tree and he clears out the temple. I have to kind of rush through this a little bit. I apologize. Wednesday uh, was the next day, and it would be, um, Mark tells us it's in the morning again. There you could see the fig tree. Uh, the parables, and this is the Olivet Discourse, uh, which would happen Wednesday. Now, we lost that Silent Wednesday problem because the whole week is filled. But you would say, again, Caden, we still have that problem. All right, so then Thursday is here. This is the day Jesus celebrates Passover, uh, as we will do on Thursday. And he celebrates it as a Galilean in Jerusalem, and he does it what? From sunrise to sunrise. And so his day starts, and here's the interesting, remember 250,000 lambs have to be uh, sacrificed. The priest likely didn't make a big deal of the difference between Thursday and Friday, that sunrise to sunrise, because it divided the work. Literally, your Passover is divided, and now what would have seemed like impossible to do, 250,000 lambs, now it's divided in half into two different days. And so they're probably like, Works for us. Uh, So, um, ultimately, we say we don't know how this happened. I believe it is obviously the providence of God to make this happen. So, Thursday, Jesus celebrates Passover. He truly celebrates Passover. This is the day that the Galileans, Thursday afternoon, 3 to 5 p.m., that would have been sacrificed. They would have prepared it that day. He would have eaten it Thursday night. He would have eaten it before Friday morning. As we see, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. They were done with the Passover. Friday comes, and there's the trial and crucifixion and the rest, but you have the Garden of Gethsemane. Friday is the day that the Judeans would have eaten it, and they would have eaten, done it when? Sunset to sunset. So they would have done from Thursday night is when they started. It's Thursday at sunset, and it flowed into Friday at sunset, and they would have eaten their meal Right, It's sacrificed Friday at 3 to 5 p.m., and they would have eaten it that night before the following morning. And then you have, the, it's the same, Saturday he lays in the tomb, Sunday is resurrection. So it's the same from that point on. Why is this so important? Yeah, I just spent a whole lot of time explaining it to you, so I better tell you why it's important. 
Thursday, Jesus celebrates Passover. He truly celebrates it. This is the official day for Passover for the Galileans. In this way, he completely fulfills the law according to the times, right? That is when he was supposed to be doing it. And he, it says in Luke, earnestly desired to do it with the disciples. He wanted this. He wanted his last moments with his disciples. He wanted to teach them the things that they needed to know. This is his last little bit. He institutes communion at this point in time. And so this is a very important night for Jesus and a very important night for the disciples for their last moments together. And so he has to do this Passover on Thursday. But on Friday, not only does he get to eat the Passover, he gets to be the Passover lamb on Friday. Taking away the sins of the world. Now, this is the last place I'm going to have you turn, Matthew, because this is so cool. You'll really like this. It'll be worth it. Matthew 27. Verses 45. The hour that Jesus was crucified. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the whole land. Now, if you remember, the sixth hour would have been noontime. And there was darkness in the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, I'm not going to say it. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you recall, the ninth hour is 3 to 5 p.m. The very moment that you would have heard they're outside Jerusalem, right? You would hear from the temples the lambs crying out as they're being slaughtered one by one. You would see the blood flowing from the temple. At that point in time, Jesus cries out, It is finished. And he gives up his life. And so you see Jesus being the chosen Lamb of God. Celebrating the Passover Thursday and dying as the Passover lamb on Friday. And that is the providence of God. And you recall I had you turn to John. And in John ten eighteen it says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And it says, this charge I have received from my Father. He dies as God's Passover lamb for us. <clears throat> That's why in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says, he, Christ, our Passover lamb. And so he's chosen. He chooses himself. The people choose him. God chooses him on the 10th of Nisan to be the Passover lamb. And he dies the 14th on Passover as our Passover lamb. So again, he chooses. He is the Savior, right? The Savior by choice. He chose his own entry. He chose to go down that road. He knew it would lead to the cross. He is our king by choice, and he is the Lamb of God.
by choice. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time and those may be confusing at times. Uh, we thank you for your providence and then pray thank you that uh, you intricately woven it throughout history that you could be the Passover lamb, that you would arrive on Monday in the triumphal entry, your coronation, that you could be chosen as king and chosen as the lamb and that you could die as our Passover lamb, taking away our sin, making us white as snow. We just thank you and praise you for this gift. I pray that we would always call it to our minds, that we would always remember it, we keep it on the forefronts of our hearts, and that we would always consistently, constantly be praising you for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.